Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you've set us free from our sin and slavery to ourselves. You have made us your slaves, slaves of righteousness. Help us to understand that today. Help us to not just understand it with our minds, but to embrace it with our hearts, etch it upon our souls that we might live as your freed slaves. We need you now as we open your word. We pray, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. So Lord, do the work of June the 4th. Do the work that you planned for us today to sanctify us, to call us out of darkness into your light. Help us to put sin to death, to kill the wickedness that resides inside of us. Help us to do it by the power of your Spirit. Lord, through your word this morning, help us to put on the full armor of God. Help us to stand against the enemy's schemes. Help us, Lord, to put on the belt of truth, your truth. Help us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. Help us to be fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Help us to have the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Help us to put on the helmet of your salvation, the salvation you have won for us in Jesus. And help us by the sword of the Spirit to put the death, the deeds of the body. Lord, we need you. We are desperate for your help today. Open your word to us. Speak to us as we listen attentively to your word. We pray you'd help us in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, I thank God for you. I don't tell you often enough how grateful I am for you and how much I love you in Christ. Let me say how awesome it is to preach on putting sin to death with these castle-themed VBS decorations up here. May we slay the dragon of sin by the sword of the Spirit. Well, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper today, let's turn in the Scripture to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 15-23. If you need to grab the hardback Bible in the pew rack in front of you, this is on page 943 of that hardback Bible. Romans chapter 6. And we're looking at verses 15 to 23 this morning. Follow along as I read this passage over us. Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the infallible word of our God. May he inscribe its truth into our hearts. Well, the first thing to notice here is the similarity of the question in verse 15 to the question we've already seen in chapter 6, verse 1. In chapter 6, verse 1, we saw that Paul was responding to someone who would misunderstand the doctrine of the grace of God, who would say we should just continue in sin so that grace would abound all the more. Paul answered that objection by explaining our union with Jesus in His death and resurrection. Because we have been united to Jesus, because we have died to sin, because we have been raised to newness of life, It is unthinkable, Paul says, that we would go on sinning. That is no longer our identity. We are now in Christ. But in verse 15, Paul clarifies that the statement he just made in verse 14 when he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under law, but under grace? By no means. You see, in verse 14, he had just said, we're no longer under law, but we're now under grace. So since we're not under law anymore, but now we're under grace, should we just go on sinning? See, the law brought knowledge of sin. Without the law, we wouldn't know what sin was. And the law brought realization that none of us have kept God's law. We all deserve the condemnation and death that the law reminds us of. But he says the gospel has brought better news, news of the grace, the undeserved righteousness of Jesus. The grace of God has come to us and enabled us to be free from sin. We have this promise of eternal life in Jesus. And so again, Paul says in verse 15, it is unthinkable that you and I, under grace, would try to take advantage of that grace by continuing in sin. Listen, God's grace is not a license to sin. That's what he says in verse 15. God's grace is not a permission slip to sin. Paul again emphatically denies this conclusion that we would sin because we are under grace. He says, by no means, absolutely not, perish the thoughts. No way. And then what Paul does in the rest of this chapter is continue to explain why that's true. Why that would be unthinkable for a Christian to live that way. And he does so by explaining what's happened to us in Jesus. His main argument for why we cannot continue in sin is because a radical change has taken place. We have moved from enslavement to sin to obedience to God. And notice the tone of this passage is one of thanksgiving and rejoicing and joy. Look at verse 17. 
Paul breaks out into praise in the middle of this passage. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And so Paul thanks God for this radical change that has taken place. All of this is God's doing. And so the metaphor that Paul uses in this passage, you can see it right there on the surface, is the metaphor of slavery. Now it was estimated that the population of Rome at this time was about 50% slaves. And even those who weren't slaves at this time may have been a slave at one point in their life. And so this would have been a very familiar concept to Paul's original audience. And let me just make clear in case it's not already clear from just reading through this passage that Paul is not using this imagery of slavery to in any way encourage slavery as we know it. To think that way is to miss the entire point of this metaphor. The metaphor of slavery is being used to help us understand what has happened to us spiritually, what has happened to us in Jesus. In fact, remember Paul began the book of Romans by describing himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. Paul wore this as a badge of honor for the glory of Jesus. Paul had the attitude of Roman, I mean, Psalm 84 that we read at the beginning of the service. It is better to serve the Lord one day as a doorkeeper in His house than to serve a thousand days anywhere else in all of creation. And so Paul identifies with this metaphor of being a slave of Jesus. However, it seems to me that Paul wasn't completely sold on this metaphor. Like all illustrations, this one breaks down if you take it too far. And so look at verse 19. In verse 19, Paul takes a step back and acknowledges that what he's doing is merely speaking in human language, merely speaking to people with natural limitations like we all have. In other words, he's acknowledging illustrations are helpful, but they're not perfect. And so Paul acknowledges that these truths that he's about to share with us, they surpass his ability to communicate and they surpass our ability to understand. We have these natural limitations that keep us from understanding these incredible truths. And so Paul uses this metaphor to try to help us grasp it a little bit. And therefore, as we approach this text this morning, as we do all of Scripture, we should approach it with a definite humility that we are seeking to understand eternal truths with our finite and limited minds. May God the Holy Spirit illumine our minds to understand, to be challenged by, and to rejoice in these awesome truths. So let me highlight three truths that Paul explains in this passage. Three truths here. Number one, everyone is enslaved to something. Everyone's enslaved to something. Now listen, as you hear this truth, hopefully as you jot it down in your scripture journal or in your notes to think about later, when you hear this truth, what happens inside of you? See, I think this is a truth that our modern ears cringe to hear because all of us like to think of ourselves as free to do whatever we wish. After all, right, we're the captain of our own ship. We can switch courses whenever we like. We like to think of ourselves as 
free to make our own choices, to do our own thing. In reality, though, the Bible says the opposite is true of that. We are, in fact, all of us enslaved to someone or something. Remember, Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters. You only serve the master that you are enslaved to. Notice how Paul says it in verse 16. He says, do you not know, in other words, you should know, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so verse 16 is a rebuke. Paul's readers have forgotten this. We have forgotten this. We should know this truth. We should know this is true because we have God's word and we know this is true in our own hearts, our enslavement. We are slaves to the one we obey. If we're enslaved to sin, we will obey sin all the way to death. If we are slaves of obedience to God, he says the reward will be the righteousness of God. You cannot serve both masters. You will either obey the one or you will obey the other. And Paul is urging believers here to no longer be enslaved to your sin. Now, look how definitive Paul is here in verse 16. This is amazing to me. He only gives two options. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to God. Is there a third option here in verse 16? He gives no third option. He says, it's not that you can be slaves of sin or slaves of God or slaves of whatever you want. Paul doesn't give a all of the above option either. He doesn't say you could be slaves of both sin and God at the same time. It's not either or and it's not one or the other. This is true for all humanity, Paul says. For all humanity. Everyone in this room and everyone we will ever meet in our entire lifetime is a slave to someone or something. And Paul is zealous that we carefully consider who or what we offer ourselves to as obedient slaves. He says we either allow sin to rule over us, over us or we allow God and His righteousness to rule over us. Either sin and selfishness sit on the throne of our hearts or God is on that throne. Everyone offers themselves to something. We all offer our sacrifices to someone or someone on their altar. We all do it. And so ask yourself some diagnostic questions before we see what Paul says in the rest of this chapter. Who or what controls you? Who are you a slave to? Why do you do what you do? Who do you do it for? Who do you seek to please? Whatever it is, whoever it is, That is who you are enslaved to. Everyone is enslaved to something. We are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to God. No one is neutral. So with that foundational truth in verse 16, notice the second truth. Paul says believers have been set free to be slaves. Believers have been set free from slavery to be slaves. I love how Paul just burst into praise in verse 17 again. Just burst into praise in the midst of thinking about all of us being naturally enslaved to something. So as we read through verses 17 through 19 again, make sure you have in your mind that Paul is saying all of this comes from God. 
God is to be praised for what He has done in believers. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So Paul says that God has set us free from slavery to sin and has made us obedient from the heart, which is where all true obedience comes from. So we are specifically noticed obedient to the standard of teaching we were committed to, which I take as a reference to the gospel. The gospel is the standard of teaching we've been committed to. We are now obedient to the gospel that was proclaimed to us. This is God's doing. This is not our own doing. It doesn't say we freed ourselves, so praise you and your strength. No, God has freed us from our slavery to sin and has made us slaves of righteousness. So Paul is again seeing this as something God has done for the Roman Christians through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have been set free from slavery to sin, which he thanks God for this awesome reality. And verse 18 is where Paul has this clever turn of phrase. I think this is the whole reason why he's using the metaphor of slavery for this truth in verse 18. Look at it. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So we have been set free. Why? Why have we been set free from slavery to sin? So that we can just be free agents and not enslaved to anyone? No. We have been set free so that we could become slaves of righteousness. We've been set free to be slaves. This is the happiest news imaginable. We were once enslaved to sin that leads to death and condemnation and lawlessness. We couldn't free ourselves. We didn't even know we were enslaved. And a new master has bought us and has freed us to serve him. And our response should be, Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Imagine that you live in a dark and harsh castle, not like this beautiful one we are in today. Actually, imagine that you're in the dark and humid dungeon of this castle. You are enslaved, chained up by the cruelest master of them all. You are under sin's dominion, and it enslaves you to its every wishes. You are shackled to sin, and all you can do is sin. And then one day, a perfect and glorious and sovereign king bursts into that dungeon and frees you from your slavery and feeds you and clothes you and cleans you up. What would be your response to that freedom? Would you just walk away, grateful that you're no longer in that dungeon chained up anymore? No. You would say to that great and glorious king, I will serve you all the days of my life. 
It would be my greatest honor to bring honor to such a glorious king. And that is what has happened to us spiritually. We've been set free not just to be someone else's slave. We've been set free to serve the only king deserving of our lives. Slaves of righteousness is our new identity. This is who you are in Jesus. You're a slave of righteousness. We are people who obey God because He is our master. And so do you see what Paul is doing in this passage? He is touching on the inner motivation of obeying God. Why do we obey God? Where does obedience come from? Obeying God is not a chore or a burden. It is the happiest calling that we could live out this new regenerated heart that he's giving us, that we could live out this gratefulness by saying, thanks be to God that I am no longer a slave to sin, but am a slave of righteousness leading to eternal life. Notice the conclusion Paul draws in the middle of verse 19. He reminds us that we once presented ourselves as slaves to impurity, as slaves to lawlessness, and then he says, so now. Underline, so now. So now. There's a great now that's happened. What is the now that has now happened? A change has happened. A glorious change. We aren't the same people anymore. There's a so now. And the encouragement at the end of verse 19 is not just a restatement of what's happened to us. He's not just sharing a fact here. This is a command. This is an imperative at the end of verse 19. Since this has happened to you, show now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is very interesting. Verse 18 says, this has already happened to us. If you're a Christian, this has already happened to you, according to verse 18. We have become slaves of righteousness. This is our identity. But verse 19 says, we have to continue to offer ourselves as slaves of righteousness. So which is it? Has this happened to us, or do we need to make it happen? And the answer is, yes. God has freed us to be slaves of righteousness. And that reality puts a glorious burden on our lives as our new identity. That's the whole point of sanctification. The whole point of sanctification. Listen, sanctification is the process of us becoming who we already are. It's the process of conforming our lives to who God has already said He has made us. You see, justification is the act of God whereby He declares us righteous in His sight. That is glorious beyond imagination. But sanctification is the day by day, year by year, lifelong process of submitting ourselves to who God has already declared us to be righteous in His sight. He has made us slaves of righteousness. And so now, be slaves of righteousness by putting sin to death and offering, presenting the members of your body to God in obedience to Him. You've been set free. 
The response is, thanks be to God. And now, express that gratitude by giving yourself to obedience from the heart. You are free in order to be a slave. You're free to be a slave of righteousness. But notice the third and final truth I want to highlight. What's the result of all of this? Well, number three, believers enjoy the sweetest fruit. Believers enjoy the sweetest fruit. So Paul mixes metaphors here in verses 20 through 23, where he talks about the results of being enslaved, of who we're being enslaved to. Paul points us to the principle here of we reap what we sow. Notice verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul is arguing that when we are a slave to one master, we aren't bound to any other master. Right? When sin is our master, he says, verse 20, we're free in regards to God's righteousness. How many people see Jesus as not worthy to be trusted because they think that his demands will shackle them and keep them from what they really want? How many people think that way? They don't want their perceived freedom to be taken from them. But what they don't realize and what Paul is saying is that their sin, their selfishness, their lust, their pride, their materialism, it's what's really taking away their freedom. They're bound to it. They're shackled to it. But according to verse 21, what's the result of enslavement to sin? What's the result? Paul says... The result is death. These things you're ashamed of led to death. But now that God has saved us, we see those things that once enslaved us as shameful, he says. In light of eternity, in other words, no one is glad that they were once enslaved to their sin. It's shameful when we see its fruit. We see it as shameful. See, sin always reaps death. The fruit of sin is Death. No matter what sin promises us, it always leads to death. But look at the contrast in verse 22. Oh, what a contrast this is. But now, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, what's the fruit you get? Leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now I'm convinced we all want the sweetest fruit. The reason we do what we do, the reason we're enslaved to who we're enslaved to is because we want the sweetest fruit. But the trouble is, we have problem waiting and trusting, don't we? Sin seems so appealing in the moment. Sin asks us, why wait when you could taste some of the sweetness now? We're like the little child who when offered to either have a candy bar today or $2 million tomorrow, we will take the candy bar every single time. We can't see that the eternal fruit 
The sin that sin will reap is death and shame, misery, lawlessness. We can't see the eternal fruit of, of our sin and being enslaved to sin. If we could, sin would lose all its power, right? If you could see the fruit immediately, sin would lose all of its power. Which is why I think Paul is lifting the curtain and showing us the results of our obedience to God. In the moment of temptation, we face the question every time of whether we believe Jesus is better than sin. Does Jesus provide sweeter blessings than what sin promises? That's the question we face in every temptation. And every time we choose sin, we are saying Jesus is not enough for us. I'd rather have shame and I'd rather have death. And so the question of battling sin has to do with what end we want. Do we want the fruit of sin to shame and death or do we want the fruit of obedience which is sanctification and eternal life? Now, someone could read this passage and walk away with the idea that it's our obedience that gives us eternal life. But friends, after reading Romans 1-5 through and studying it in depth, in context, no one could say that's what Paul's teaching, right? He has made clear that justification is by faith in Jesus alone, not by anything we can do. And so I think this is why Paul includes verse 23 in this whole conversation to sort of tie it together. Most of the time we use Romans 6.23 as a verse for evangelism. And listen, it is perfect for that. I love using Romans 6.23 as a verse for evangelism to talk about what sin earns us, what we deserve because of our sin is death, but God gives us a free gift, the righteousness of Christ, that through Christ and what he's done, we can have this free gift of eternal life. Like, yes, use this verse in evangelism. It's perfect for that. But it's also very important to realize that verse 23 is written in the context of sanctification. Sanctification like justification, is a gift from God. It is not something we produce in ourselves. We have been freed from our sin, not just one time, but every moment of our lives as we're being freed from sin. That's a gift of God. And so in Jesus, God continues to free us from our sin and from the wages of our sin and he continues to give us the precious fruit of eternal life in him. If we live enslaved to sin, we have no reason to believe that we have been freed by Jesus. If we think we have eternal life and all we do are things that lead to death, why are we lying to ourselves? The wages of sin is death. Death is earned by our enslavement to sin. But God in His grace, gives us much more precious fruit. He gives the gift of eternal life through the life and death and resurrection of King Jesus. So friends, if you have been set free from enslavement to sin by Jesus, Paul says you can't go on living in sin. People who know the free gift of God in Jesus are people who want to obey Him from the heart. And so the question of this whole chapter of Romans chapter 6 is this. Is Jesus precious to you? Is he precious to you? Is Jesus enough for you? Is being his servant the highest joy and greatest good of your life? The burden of this whole chapter 
is that justification by faith alone does not produce Christians who are careless about their sin. In other words, Paul writes this chapter to show why believing the gospel, believing the righteousness of Christ is the ground of our acceptance with God, does not make us indifferent to sin, but rather makes us passionate about killing sin in our lives. And so the big purpose of Romans 6 is to show why justification by faith alone always brings sanctification with it. The reformers used to say it this way. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. True faith always brings with it a holiness of life. Or another way to say it would be to say that even though justifying faith does not produce perfection in this life, it always produces a new direction in our lives. It puts us in the service to a new master. It dethrones sin. It enthrones God. And it helps us make war on sin in our hearts and in our bodies. Well, friends, these truths are perfect to meditate on as we think about moving to the Lord's table now. As we think about partaking of the bread and the cup and what Jesus has done to free us from our sin and to make us slaves of righteousness. We partake of these elements to proclaim that we believe this is our new identity. This is who we were made to be. And so I'm going to go ahead and invite the music team and the deacons who are going to serve the elements to go ahead and make your way up. As we prepare ourselves to partake of these elements, let the Lord's Supper confront you with the question of who you are enslaved to. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul would warn 